bills make me wanna shout. Kick your heels up. Welcome back, listeners, to another exciting episode of Bills and Beers, the Buffalo Bills podcast. Formerly from the Bills backers of Chicago, Illinois, we are all here at once over Skype. All five members of the Bills and Beers crew tucked away in different corners of this great lockdown nation of ours. I'm Lars here in Philadelphia. The president of the Bills backers of Chicago, Sujit, is with us all the way out in Park Ridge. How's it going, Suj? I will say that we are formerly and currently of the Bills backers in Chicago. We all got one home. That's fine. Um, I'm glad glad that you're safe and not yet presently uh, succumb to COVID-19. More on that later. Also in Chicago, from the Central Lakeview neighborhood, the lovely Miss Cassie Hutton is here. Yeah, you guys, I actually live in Chicago. I have an abandoned ship, all like all you people, so I represent. Fair enough. You people. What do you mean, you people? There it is. people. Up there in Bruce City, USA, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Buffalo Bill Nichols is here. What up, guys? Love you all. Happy to be here. And all the way down there in Austin, Texas, Jam and Jeff Day with us tonight as well. Love it. We're bringing Skype back. It's, it's, the, it's the era of Zoom, but we're, we're going old school with it. <laughs> That's true. Um, so we are, uh, you know, here we are. It's a 2020 free agency period is in full swing. Uh, it's about time for a pod. We're all locked into our homes. We're all going crazy, uh, as I'm sure most of our listeners are. So let's not waste a ton of time. Uh, if you're hearing this podcast, chances are you know how to find us. We're a little quiet on social media this time of year. But subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, all the places where you find your podcast. Leave a review. Leave a comment. Tell everybody in Bill's Nation how you found us. And gang, let's not waste any time. I know we can't clink our glasses because we're not together, but uh, let's figure out some way to get right into it. My clinking ain't working. Wait, hold on. I got a clink. Hold on. Oh, nice. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. That Ready? did sound okay. good. That was fine. Oh, that's right. I'm wearing Bluetooth. Ready? One, two, three. So I'm going to take a, a wild guess that the the list of people that I sent around uh, to kind of help steer this conversation uh, for who's coming, who's going, and what's on the horizon, that everybody looked at it, everybody knows the list in detail, or everybody has it in front of them now, is that a safe assumption to make? Uh, once you started talking, I, I pulled it up. I, I actually see, because it's a Google Doc, and I see we have like the anonymous moose. And the uh, like, the pensive sparrow or whatever that little icon is. So good, three of us viewing this document at one time. So we'll start with the players who have left, um, and I think that'll help inform this conversation as we go through. You know, by now none of this is news. Everybody here in this podcast is engaged enough that they pretty much know who's who's come and gone. Uh, but I think a lot can be gleaned from the direction of this team or about the direction of this team, and also. The, the phase at which this team presently stands by who's come and gone. Obviously, the big one out the door right away we knew. Retired. Lorenzo Alexander, also out the door. Shaq Lawson to Miami. 
Jordan Phillips to Arizona and Kevin Johnson more recently to Cleveland. Three players that I think most Bills fans would say take it or leave it, but the price that those players were had makes me think that the Bills uh, thought that they could get a lot more than they were getting from these guys. I know I mentioned that something about Shaq, but I have it here in the dock. Three for 30 for both Phillips and Shaq Lawson. Do those numbers jump out to anybody else? Yeah, I think that for me, you know, the question is, is Shaq going to play in his contract here? Uh, the, will he continue to play that way, right? Because for, we dealt with him for four years where, or sorry, for three years, where he didn't produce in that level. And then all of a sudden he shows up and, so, you know, he was playing good run defense. He was always solid at run defense, but he finally started to actually put it all together. Is that a sign of a player developing or is that a sign of a player just being motivated for one year? Um, Jordan Phillips was a different story. I know pro football focus is a, is a, is very down on him because they think all of his sacks were kind of cleanup sacks and he didn't really actually affect the play as much. Um, but you know, you, as I'm looking down at the people that are coming in, uh, that you've talked about, um, Mario Edison's the same thing, three, three years for 30 million. And so I, I'm surprised we didn't keep one of them because I felt like we paid for their replacements, um, in the same way. And I don't know that their replacements to some extent are better. So I don't know that the replacement for, um, Jordan Phillips is better. Um, but maybe, I, I mean, I think it's arguable, very arguable that Mario Addison is much better than Shaq Lawson um, as, a, as a defensive end. Agreed. And I think that when you see that number, at least, you know, this is, these are very, very high level numbers. But, but the three for 30 from Mario Addison, the same contract essentially that Shaq has gotten from Miami. Now, we're not accounting for guaranteed money or bonuses or any of that stuff. We're not getting that far into the details here. But that means that they think they can get the same production that they got from Shaq Lawson from a guy who's 32 years old. And when I saw those numbers for Shaq Lawson, it made me think that they didn't they weren't that high on Shaq Lawson. They thought, okay, well we can get we can get that good or better at what we need from that position from somebody who's like Mari Addison a little long in the tooth, or as as I'm sure is also likely and we'll get to later in the pod somebody younger, maybe somebody out of the draft. I, my takeaway was that they weren't all that impressed with Shaq Lawson. So you talk about well, what, he, what he did in his contract they, here. I don't think they were that thrilled. They did offer him three for 27. So it's also possible that, you know, Shaq just said, like, they didn't even give him a chance to counter. So maybe Shaq and his agent are like, you know what, like, Miami, like, three for 30. Like, there's no point of us even going back to Buffalo. Like, or do you want to? And maybe it's just like, nah, I'm done with it. Like, I can see that from his personality. Like, even though he was engaged, certainly in our culture, like this year, he was, he's always kind of been like the odd man out. Um, and, you know, props to him for, for, for hanging along and, and, uh, and bringing his, bringing his best game in his contract year. Uh, we'll see what happens with him. I, I would expect in Miami, he'll probably produce. I think he'll just be on and off. I don't think he'll have consistent production. I think their coach, Brian Flores, is, uh, is, a, is a motivator. I think he'll play hard for him. But um, I, I, I think that that, uh, that organization is, is not set up for someone who needs structure like a Shaq Lawson. Perhaps. I think that's a good point. That's a good point. Bill, was it you that also brought up the idea of income tax? Um, in in Florida versus New York, uh, uh, I ain't that smart, man. Yeah, I, I, think, well, that was, I think it was Jeff. 
right? That that I mean, that's a that's a big difference, right? Like, I mean, that's a couple million around the edges, so uh, that adds to it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always one of those things, you know, you see, and it's it's becoming increasingly, it's always been present. I, I, for some reason, it gets talked about more these days, maybe because this, the numbers are bigger, you know, than they've, of course, than they've ever been. Um, but yeah, I mean, straight away, just from, a, from a, you know, the states like Florida, Texas, um, you know, have an advantage over states like New York and California in particular, which have very high state income tax. So, you know, these guys, three for, you know, the three for 30, if the bills are offering them three for 27, that may seem like a $3 million difference, but in reality, it's actually probably a 6 or $7 million difference. Plus, he gets to go uh, live in Miami, which to Bill's point earlier, I think a guy like Shaq Lawson is probably um, excited about. Um, and so while he did join Bill's Mafia, and I think you know we all liked him, and that was probably the one surprise on here um, that we, I think we, we collectively as a pod, I think, thought that we were, we were going to resign him. Um, you know, certainly not shocking, maybe a bit of a surprise, but not shocking. And it, it seems like we, we, we just went and sort of hired his replacement. Yeah, I was more surprised for Jordan Phillips, honestly. Like, I, I was the one out of all of us that said that he probably won't resign. I just don't think that he displayed the level of commitment to the process and to the team that was required. Like, he started playing better. But you just didn't get the, like, I'm all in type of vibe. Like, let's say, let, let's, a perfect example is um, Lee Smith, right? Like, he's a guy who's not that good, right? But so clearly was a thousand percent committed to this process and this team that, like, I think no one on that team would question that, is he, is he all in? Like, Shaq Lawson probably is disappointed that he didn't come out like the superstar he expected to come out as, a, what, the ninth pick in the draft? Um, 19. So, oh, is he that far down? I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. The 19th pick in the draft. But still, he thought he was going to be a superstar. Um, and I feel like in the beginning, he felt like he didn't get the respect or playing time that he deserved. And now he's like in this role where he's not a pass rusher, but he's really good at run defense. And then finally in his contract year, he he starts to show some some promise. And so I think that I think he I think Buffalo left a bad taste in his mouth in overall. Like even though he was happy with this regime and he was getting to be happy to be part of a great defense, I don't think that it left a good taste in his mouth, the experience here. Um, and so I'm sure he was happy to go to the glitz and glamour of, of Miami where he will be initially very well received as uh, a superstar. And I, so I, I think I, I'm Cass, I want to come to you for a second. I, I do want to put a pin in all the hot shack Lawson talk because the, the real, um, the, the, we have a major acquisition here. that's a little further down the agenda that I think yeah. people who are listening to this podcast are probably going to want to hear us talk about. But from what I can tell, looking at this list of people, and this isn't a comprehensive list. Uh, when you look at the Josh Normans, even the AJ Kleins, the Quinton Jefferson, the Vernon Butlers, it looks like we just kind of loaded up on depth again. I, I hear good things about this Quinton Jefferson guy, but looking at this list and looking at the fact that they let Kevin Johnson go, methinks that um, number 54 is probably going to be on the defensive side of the ball in no small measure because the Buffalo Bills now have a legitimate number one wide receiver. Cass, haven't heard from you yet. Stephon Diggs, can you dig it? I'm, yeah, I'm super, super excited about it. But I, I think overall, and I just want to kind of, talk about this when we look at the roster moves one thing that i think is loud and clear that as we pick up and let go of players 
if you're brought in and you're drafted, you've got years to prove yourself. You have to prove yourself within those years. If not, we're going to go out, we're going to pick up players that are going to replace you. So you got a contract year. You don't play just in your contract year. You have to play in the multiple years leading up to that. Um, so I think that that's something that the team has shown that they don't just value one year. They value your entire plethora of years that you're playing with the team. So when you're looking at Stefan Diggs, when he's coming in, he is going to need to perform in his first year in hot damn. I think he will. Mm. Yeah, I think I, I was really Lars. You brought up the idea of, you know, when I first heard the story, I was like, fuck, we're here in the, in the deepest wide receiver draft in like a long, long time. We had the 22nd pick in the draft. We have other draft picks that could allow us to move up. Like, why wouldn't we just want to take a rookie contract and develop that for four years and, and, and have, you know, when, when Josh Allen is due for his contract, we're, our, our star wide receiver is not due for his. So anyways, it was all like, that was kind of my, my initial, initial story. But then what we were sitting there chatting that evening, late, late that evening, because Brandon Bean likes to make all of his decisions at like 11 o'clock at night. But um, the contract was solid. Like it was a four-year, um, what? Like on, on average, it was like ten to twelve million dollars a year. I, I can't remember the, the exact details, but the, like, I mean, that's a very reasonable deal for a receiver that's established, as opposed to you know at the twenty-sixth pick, we probably will hit on someone good, but we might not, right? And this is a person that's established, that's played in the NFL, that doesn't have the growing pains, and we know is good. So I'm super excited about that aspect. Lars, you brought up the idea that this guy may come in here and say, no, I don't want to play for this contract. Um, do you think, what do you think the reality of that happening is? And are we going to sit here with uh, a holdout, you know, until he gets a, um, a, a contract like Amari Cooper? You know, yeah. So the fact that Amari Cooper then, like, less than 12 hours later signed a contract that's worth, I think like one and a half times or two and a half times what he's making. It does, isn't a great sign. And it, it kind of leads me to think that he may be satisfied playing on this deal for a year. Um, but it's also not his first deal. It's not his rookie deal. I mean, this guy did sign this contract, uh, but if he comes to Buffalo and has 11 touchdowns, 1200 yards and you know 70 receptions, I'm going to guess he's going to want more money. And quite frankly, I think he's he'll be he'll be he'll be owed that money. Now, you mentioned our chat once the the, the trade this news of the trade came out, uh, and Suge, you were getting roasted on that chat because you hated you hated this deal. And I just yeah, because wanna, I thought I thought you, we were you, pay, because I thought we were going to pay him twenty million dollars a year. Like the, I thought that fair enough. Okay, you know, and and I think that at, at that price, at twenty million dollars a year, I think we could have you know we have enough things that we needed to build on. Yes, we made the playoffs last year, but we were not a solid team. And I thought that there was enough other aspects that needed to be addressed, which we've somewhat addressed, but 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 I oh, but the yeah. thing is no. that no no no, no. But the no. Point see that's, that's, that, like, that's, that's <laughs> I, I disagree with you on, on I, I disagree on several fronts. Number one being there was one th there's one thing from the twenty nineteen team that needed to be addressed and it's points per game. We need players who can put some goddamn points on the scoreboard. 19 points a game ain't going to cut it. So I think Stefan Diggs is a clear and present step in that direction. As oh, no, for, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. But the thing is that I feel like you use the draft to, to build the things that we can't, right? Like, that, that, like I mean, other than what's the point of the draft, right? Like, I mean, I think that if we have a draft that's rich in very good wide receivers, 
why wouldn't we draft those wide receivers and have them for several years on a cheap rookie contract and then use our free agent money to fill in the other spaces that we can't afford? Now, I, I appreciate the fact that rookie wide receivers might not, you know, might not hit. Um, but but I, I, if if we were paying him $20 million and that was eating up our cap and, our, and, and taking away our ability to sign other players, then I was not happy with it. But paying him 10 to $12 million seems very reasonable. Like that, I don't have a problem with. I would have been unhappy if we, if we signed a Mari Cooper's contract. I guess that's, that's I, my concern. Fair enough. I just, I, and, Suj, I, ahead, I, don't, guess. I, don't get, I don't get how, like, this guy's more, he's a proven commodity that's out there, right? Like, we've done the draft approach, and it hasn't worked. I mean, Zay Jones did not work. What's worked for us was picking up Beasley, picking up John Brown, right? Free agency at the wide receiver position worked for us. So I think that this to is an extent that to, I, I agree to an extent, but I think last year was successful with the people that we picked up as compared to people that we picked up in the draft. So I think we're going in the right direction, the right momentum. And I'd rather have more of a proven commodity, right? I want $10 in my wallet today rather than the hopes of maybe 15 or 20 in, in, with a draft pick that needs time and, and needs to come in and, and, and all that development time. And I would even, but but, go ahead, because I I think I think that proven commodity thing is is key to this, Cass. Jeff, what were you going to say? No, and I was going to say, I mean, so you know, couldn't be more excited about the move, and I'll make a couple of comments. One of which is, not only is it a proven commodity, and to and to your analogy there about the money in your pocket, Cass. I don't even think it's a scenario where it's ten dollars in your in your pocket now is better than the possibility of fifteen. Stefan Diggs is a top 10 receiver in the league. Yes. I mean, Stefan Diggs is, is not, this is not like we signed a, a above average, pretty good wide receiver. We signed one of the elite receivers in the league whose perhaps national recognition has only been compressed by the fact that he plays for the Vikings versus one of the more premier um, yeah. media teams in the league. This is a game this changer today. Also, it's this is to run the fucking ball like 40% of the time, by the way. And, and, the, and the, other, the other comment that I'll make and, and why I'm excited about the move is that <clears throat> like any move in the NFL, you, you can't look at it in a, in a vacuum. You look at it, how it impacts the rest of the, the, rest of the, um, the rest of the team broadly. And if we had picked up Stefan Diggs in a situation, let's say we, say we paid the same capital, draft capital for him, in a world in which our other two wide receivers were Zay Jones and Kelvin Benjamin. We would look at that move very differently than when we pick up Stefan Diggs with the same draft capital when our other two receivers are John Brown and Cole Beasley. Mm. And I think that's because the impact that this now will have with the receiver group that we have, we talked about, you know, last year, the whole time we were looking for who's going to compliment John Brown. Is it going to be Duke Williams? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? Now, John Brown is going to be the guy that compliments Stefan Diggs. Uh-huh. Um, and and, I, and it, all of a sudden now we have, a, we have a formidable wide receiver group who will be able to, with, between Brown and Diggs, you not only have two guys with, um, who can stretch the field vertically, but are two of the better route runners in the NFL. Um, wow. I'm excited. Well, yeah. all roads lead to Allen. And the, the, the last, and we'll come back to that in a second. And Bill, I want to hear you jump in too. 
the one last way to like, just think of, think of the draft capital this way, because I texted with a, a, a neighbor of mine, a guy who I used to live with in Chicago or live by side note. Um, on the other side of me in Chicago was a managing editor for pro football talk. And I did not know that until today. He's a lions fan. We used to talk football all the time. And I randomly came across one of his tweets through a bills reporter. It was actually Chris Trapasso. Um, and then I was like, Oh my God, I used to live next door to the guy. He's a managing editor for pro football talk. Anyhow, um, think in, when I texted my other neighbor, who's a Vikings fan, he came back with a steep press. To... So think of it, the bills nation, would you use the 22nd pick on a wide receiver? If you knew there was a chance he could be as good as Stefan Diggs, I think everybody would say, Absolutely. And then if you followed up that question with, but if I threw in a fifth and sixth round pick and guaranteed that pick would be as good as Stefan Diggs, would you take it? Who the fuck would say no to that? Yeah, but again, the value, right? I agree. I, agree. I completely agree. I'm like, don't get me wrong. I don't want to like make it sound like I'm not excited to have fucking Stefan no, Diggs. That's not directed at you. I, that's directed at anybody who said the draft capital was too much to give up for this guy. No, it's I, not I, the I, draft capital. It's just that if you pay that draft capital, but then also pay like you paid for a massive... I'm, shoot, I'm made. making a separate point. I'm making a completely yeah, 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 separate yeah. No, point. No, no, but the draft because... capital is completely... You'd be stupid to not take Stefan Diggs for that draft capital. That's There we go. That's that's all I needed to hear. Bill, I want to hear. I want to get Bill's opinion on this. I love everything about it. I'm not concerned about the picks we give up. But outside looking in, you know, it can be criticized, but, you know, no one knows our team. Um, we, like you said, the, the key thing that we needed to address in order to, I mean, listen, guys, we were in the, you know, we were in the wild card game and competing very, very well. Dominating. Like, dominating. And, you know, so we're, you, yeah, you can't say we're a piece away, but that's a huge piece um, is getting us to the point where we're putting up more points. I mean, if we can average three more points a game, six more points a game, it puts us in another level. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I love it. I don't care about like because I look at all the potential misses that you can have with these later round picks. I also look at the misses that you can have with a wide receiver that's picked in the first round. I didn't think we were going to go first round wide receiver anyway, maybe with our second rounder, um, you know, analysis that uh, I had done um, some point in December or something like that. And I sent out, sent out a spreadsheet to you guys that was analysis of all the wide receivers in 2016 and 2019 and the top ones and where they were picked, you know, besides a few guys like, um, you know, Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf and, um, yeah, I forget who a couple of the other guys were, um, Calvin Ridley, besides a handful of those guys, most of the ones that have the most production are second and third round picks. Um, so you can find some gems in there and we've got a guaranteed guy, um, that, uh, that's going to make a contribution to the team. So I absolutely love it. Um, I am, uh, I am, can I tell you what I'm worried about though? Please. I'm worried about our offensive line uh, and our defensive line, and the, and the and the. I'm cool if everyone's healthy, but when it comes to depth, which we're in a, in a process of building um, throughout the rest of the team, it is now it feels thin. 
um, in both uh, in both our defensive line and our offensive line. Uh, I don't know if that gels with what you wanted to talk about next, but um, but it is something that I want to talk through at some point with you guys. No, I think that's a great point. I've seen Cassie unmute a couple times trying to jump in. I want to make sure she's got all the thoughts out on this subject too. Cass? No, sorry. I'm just making sure I'm using the button correctly. Continue on. <laughs> Come on. We're all very practicing conference calls right now. I would assume that you're, you're very familiar with the mute button by now. I, I am. I just don't. I'm trying to. Is it on? Is it off? So, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Confirm, baby. You're on. Uh, uh, Bill, to that point, so I'm going back to where we started this conversation about Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips out, Mario Addison, Quentin Jefferson, Vernon Butler in. I would say that we are a, a, a complete lateral move on the defensive line. I would say that we've gotten no better. We've gotten no worse. Maybe a tiny bit better, but not, not measurably and, and nothing that I'm going to rely on. And so in that sense, it, it seems, seems okay because they were good enough last year. Where I, will, where I will validate some of your concerns, though, is that in 2019, this team was freakishly healthy. And I don't know if that's sustainable. Exactly. But, exactly. but to your point, like, yeah, we can get thin real fast. And we are relying on, again, A.J. Klein to be Lorenzo Alexander? I don't think so. Are we, are we relying on Mario Addison to get eight and a half to 10 sacks? Well, maybe he's done it the last four years. Is he going to do it again at the age 32? Who knows? But if one of these yeah. guys down, who's, who's coming up and now we don't have a first round pick. Although granted the 22nd pick wasn't going to get as a blue chip defensive lineman in the first place. And the offensive line to your point, is literally a lateral move. We've not lost or gained anybody there. It's the exact same guys back. And they they were, you know, a lot was made of them last year because they went from horrendous in 2018 to mediocre in 2019. But now here we are, where it's, it's the same mediocre guys coming back. I, I yeah. do want to say, though, the offensive line, one of the big things is that we always talk about continuity, right? And especially sure. for an offensive line, being able to play together is a very valuable thing. And so the, the ability of these guys to gel a little bit more, to get to know Josh better, to, for Mitch Morris to get to know Josh better, um, there's value in that. Um, and so will they take a next step and be elite? I don't think so. I don't think that there's that many elite players. But maybe that's what we do. Who knows? Like Maybe that's what we do in the draft or next year for free agency. Like I do think that there's been a theme to each of our free agency periods. Last year was offensive line. This year seems to be mostly defensive line and front seven, um, mm. you know, along with right. And so then next year, I mean, I, I think you can you can definitely expect we're going to add some offensive linemen in, in you know between now and the season. Like, in the track, we're going to probably stop. yeah in the track. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna stock up on some more guys. Yeah, and Billy, yeah, to your point need, on the offensive we, line, I think I think that the um, you know the the unknown. Um, I think uh, centers are a little bit around Cody Ford. Um, mm. You know, the, the, the week, the week, at least if you believe in any of the grades, you know, Ford, when he was playing right tackle, was the weak link of the, the offensive line in his rookie season. The question will be, especially in his second year, does he continue to slot in his right tackle? Do they move him to guard? If he stays at right tackle, can we see a market improvement in year two, which, you know, is common for, for players of, of, of many positions. So that, that'll, that'll have a big impact, uh, I think, on the offensive line as a whole. Um, 
I think in many, I think the rest of the line, I mean, Dawkins on the left-hand tackle is, is stout. We just signed Quentin Spain, left guard, re-signed him. We liked what he did. Mitch Morris as the center. Is he one of the top three or four centers in the league? I don't know, but is he at least highly competent? Yes. Right guard, Feliciano, if he stays there. To me, it's that right, it's that right tackle position that was the leaky hole. Um, with Ford and Nasecki uh, rotating, and then Nasecki got injured. So that, that's the one that right. I'll be looking most closely to. I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Well, and, and to Lars' what... initial point, is the, you know, if the injury uh, – it, it was ridiculous last year how clean our injury report was every single week. Um, mm-hmm. And we didn't have to – we never were subjected to the, oh, shit, we don't have enough depth. Like, luckily, we were able to escape the injury bug. And um, I just like it just worries me that 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 depth is not there. And, you know, Spencer Long stepping in for Feliciano or, you know, and Seki's injured and, you know, what Ryan Bates, you know, Um, again, I mean, maybe maybe these guys are serviceable and it's not to the it's not to the point where they're going to lose us games, but um in a, in a place where you want to be as strong as possible. And you, you know, I mean, you talk about building a foundation of your team. It's on the defensive line, the offensive line. Uh, I, you know, I really just want us to be real short up at that position. And I think what's key here, and this is my biggest worry last year was we had a bunch of players, but we didn't know how they're going to work together or where they're going to fit. I mean, Jeff just yeah. went through and named a player for every position. And last year at this time, we couldn't even do that, right? We're like, I don't know where that person's going to play. Maybe they're going to be here. Maybe, they, or maybe they weren't even on our team. So, we have <laughs> yeah. at, right? Like, at least we have the momentum that these guys are going to continue to gel. And one of the things you know sure. on the offensive line is that's key. So, hopefully, just that the players being there in positions and being able to work together is, is starting point well beyond where we were last year. Well, and, okay, and so I'll be the one no to bring other... it up here. Cause no, please finish. I was just going to say, I don't, there's probably no other position group on the team that, that I would say holds this, holds this to be true, which is you're only as good as your weakest link. And I think the offensive line, probably any position group, that is the most pronounced on the offensive line because if one of those five players screws up, you're, the play's over. And, and so I think that we have built a, 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 an offensive line that, with the exception of that right tackle position, the Cody Ford position, doesn't have too many weak links. And that's the one that I think if we see improvement there, I think on the whole, for the whole position group, we'll see drastic improvement across the board. Well, then that segues to what I was going to say, because lest we forget, there is there is a sixth person involved in making sure the offensive line has their shit together. And we've been recording a podcast here about Bill's personnel and what it means for next year and who's going to step up and, and who's going to be that key missing piece. And we have not mentioned once, aside from a Christian few, Wade. Exactly. That's exactly where I was going with this. Josh Allen. <laughs> so... It sure seems that the Bills are all in on Josh Allen. We've known that for a while. We knew that when they when they did everything they had to do in 2018 to go up and get him. But as we talk about the offensive line gelling and taking the step up, as we talk about adding a new receiver and what that means for our ability to score points, all of that is moot if Josh Allen doesn't also take a big step forward. Our last podcast together after the wild card game was 
was a bit of a mess. We were all a bit of a mess. It was a goodbyes. It was so long to the season. It was, we were so close and we slip away. The game itself was a crusher. Josh Allen did some crazy weird shit in that game. He, he, he still has it in him to do some things when the ball is in his hands that, that makes me very, very nervous. And oh, he's got to get that shit out of there. He's got to be. It's nice that it's nice that Stephon Diggs can beat people off the line. Josh Allen's got to be able to hit him when he's three steps in front of the cornerback, forty yards down the field. Cass, I'll turn this over to you because I know what you're going to say. Tell me, tell me what I need to expect from Josh Allen. I mean, I'm all in on him. I, I know, <laughs> and I know the last game there is some stupid stuff, but the. Part of the stupid comes the great, right? Like, there was some great things. We got to overtime because of Josh Allen. Mm. Like, he, I, I, have, I have said this. I'm still going to say this, and I will stand by him. I mean, this boy is going to do ridiculous things this year, and, and it's going to happen. It is going to happen. And he in his third year, I, 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 what, Jeff, let's go to Vegas. I will put all of my money on Josh Allen this year. I'm letting it ride. Let's go. I have no concerns about him taking a step back or anything. That's okay. right. I Vegas, unmuted baby. just to hear that. <laughs> I unmuted just so that you could hear a beer opening in my ear, okay? Because that made me so Does anybody disagree? Does, does, does anybody have any, any reservations about this guy? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, he yeah. might suck real bad. Oh, yeah. No, listen. We're going to ride this train, baby. We're going to ride all these trains, okay? I'm going to get naked on the train, and I'm going to be in a sleeping car. But I will have a sleeping car, but I will still sit in a regular coach seat naked on the Josh Allen train because I don't give a damn, okay? Here's the thing is that – it's going to be great or it's going to be fucking horrible. And it's going to be so fucking fun <laughs> to be a part of it. Because we're going to be like, fuck, Tom Brady's out the goddamn AFC East. And now we, our quarterback was supposed to be amazing. He could throw the ball 18 miles, but he can't throw the ball three feet. And, like, that's, that, that's what's going to be so much fun. Like, this is what it's about being a Bills fan is that – but I do think that in all seriousness – I think that he will never be the, you know, the elite quarterback we want him to be. But I do think that he will make incremental improvements every year. And I think that his ceiling is Brett Favre, right? And I think, <laughs> and, and which is which is okay. great, which is great. <laughs> Top three of all time. Like, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that. Like, uh, I'm just saying uh, he won't be will be the mistake-prone quarterback that also does amazing things. Kind of like along the lines of what Cassie was saying. Um, and, and, but, I, but I'm saying ceiling is Brett Favre, right? But, but I think that that's, that's the player that he will aspire to be. Not, you know, not a Tom Brady, not even a Peyton Manning, not, 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 those, not, not those surgical precision quarterbacks. Um, but he'll be able to run the ball. He'll be able to do all these amazing things. And it's just a matter of, you know, do we have enough around him to make that be the quarterback that wins? Just remember that, like, you know, we, we sure, we, we, we sure should do him. now. We better. Right. And so that, that's the point, right, is that right now all the chips are in place. And so if Josh can't do it over the next two years, 
um, then then it, it answers our question. And I think that, that that's one thing that I really wanted to talk about was that how many contracts have we seen that are two years, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that normal to see that many two-year, maybe three-year contracts. Um, but I think that we're doing it because we know that in two years, we have to make a decision. Do we have to pay for a brand new quarterback, whether it's in free agency or otherwise? Or do we have to pay Josh Allen to continue to be our quarterback and pay him $20, $30 million a year? Um, and so I think that that is the that this is our window. If we're going to win with Josh Allen, at least in the short term, we have two to three years to do it. Right. Um, and then and then we will have to make a decision where we have the flexibility to jettison a bunch of people and pay Josh Allen or we have to kind of reload, right? And so I think that's why we're seeing all the two-year contracts. There's, it's, not, it's not a mystery as to why Josh Allen, Trey White, all of those guys have to be paid around the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, here's, here's what I love that, um, that scares, that excites us and scares us at the same time about, about our boy Josh Allen, which is that ever since that Texans game, and I, <laughs> I love this, He's been asked about that lateral that he made to um, Dawson Knox. He's been asked about that about a dozen times. And I have noticed he has refused to acknowledge that he shouldn't have done it. (laughs) And he he has refused to acknowledge that it was a dumb play because he's he's out there and he's constantly saying, you know, sometimes you just got to try and make a play for your team. And it is what it is what excites us about him and scares the shit out of us at the same time. It's not even the action, but that even post the action that he refuses to say that it was the incorrect action, which is exciting and and scary at the same time. Um, but Cassie, I'm with you. I can't wait to place those bets in Vegas. Yeah, and, and, and remember, remember the idea of play fearless, right? That's when Josh Allen and the rest of this team made a turn, right? Is that in the beginning, it was all about don't make mistakes, don't make mistakes, don't turn the ball over. And Josh Allen was neutered during that time. When they finally told them to play fearless, the team made a turn. The team was a different team. And I think he's finally understanding what that balance is. Don't be reckless, but at the same time, be Josh Allen. You know, jump over a fucking linebacker if you need to, because this is Jim Kelly country. Mm-hmm. Mm. I like that. Fearless. I, I will reckless. say that, that might be the uh, 2020. The, the, uh, the, the Buffalo Bills marketing slogan. Um, yeah, I will exactly. say that, you know, I, I just I just have to say aloud and vent the fact that as I'm as I'm listening to national guys cover the Stefan Diggs trade, like listening to these assholes say things like, well, you know, he got frustrated in, in Minnesota. How frustrated is he going to get when Josh Allen launches a ball 30 feet over his head? And, uh, like, I get that he's not, like, a precision passer, but we can't. We brought it up last year multiple times. Like, I, I don't watch this guy thinking, like, oh, God, he's winging it all over the field. I mean, granted, for us, the bar is low. Like, we like we watch DJ Manuel, like, literally throw it into the third row or spike it five feet short of a guy. But Dude, I don't, a, it, it's a label that just has not gone away. It's like someone threw it out there and then all of a sudden, like everyone just latched onto it. And all of a sudden he's become this quote unquote, like inaccurate passer. It's just, and, it's, and I, and I guess like his, his completion percentage sort of backs it up a little bit. 
and he's going to have that label built until he finishes a season at like 70%. And, but uh, otherwise people have that, like you said, that's a label. It's like the, the, the prejudice against him. And then they look at his completion percentage. Like, Oh yeah, obviously it's true. Look, he only completed 56% of his passes, but for, for God, for the love of God, like th- there's so much to talk about, about Josh Allen. And one of those things is not his completion percentage. That is so far down the list of things that define him. It drives me nuts. Anyways, that's yeah. apropos of absolutely nothing to this conversation because I, I know that we and everybody listening agrees. Yep. I'm stoked. I'm excited. You know, you you want a guy, if you're going to have a leader of your team, you want a guy who's going to break the mold. You know, no one, none of, none of the great people that we, that we look at and whether they're, you know, presidents or fucking, you know, business leaders, like these are not people who have just, you know, well, gone down the straight and narrow path and haven't taken risks, you know? So, um, I, you know, I love his personality. I love his leadership. I love his competitiveness. And, you know, I'll take that any day um, over a guy who's just going to kind of, you know, just you know, try and make the right throws and is going to be, you know, methodical or whatever. I mean, I'll take a guy who's jumping over linebackers, making some stupid plays but also just like winging it like out of the end zone, uh, you know, out of his own end zone, you know, 15 yard ridiculous bullet pass that ever, everyone is like, wait, what, how did he just make that throw? I'll take that any day. I love it. Yeah. And I think the thing that I love about this guy more than anything else is that his teammates love him. You know, we, we hear, we hear rumors that that's not the case for guys like Derek Carr or Kirk cousins, Stefan Diggs, former, Former passer. Sure. I mean, his teammates love him. It's so important. Well, and just think about yeah. we could have could have could have had Josh Rosen, could have had Sam Darnold. <laughs> I mean, well, granted, then you've also got uh, what's his name in Baltimore, but yeah, I can't but, see him. But Bill, I don't think I don't see that shit happening for more than a year. Like with yeah. uh, with like I just don't see that being sustainable. I think that people because of the bills. People got the 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 recipe on Lamar Jackson, and I think that he's better, obviously, than other flash than the Tyrod Taylors of the world. But um, he's he's not he's not a Cam Newton for sure, you know. And I don't think that he's as sustainable. And I think that someone's going to clock him in the head, and he's going to be done with. But but the 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 other thing that we have to remember, the most important thing that we have to remember this year that has not been the case for since probably. I would argue, um, uh, my gosh, Drew, Drew Bledsoe, right? Is when it was third and 17, we weren't just like, all right, cool, what's the next series going to be like, right? When it was third and long, there were so many times when we just had every reason to believe that it was the same as first and 10. We had, I felt like we had just as much of a possibility to get a first down on in one play on first and 10 as we did on third and 12, third and 17. Because with Josh Allen, I was just looking at this guy threw 47 passes of 20 yards or more compared to 30 the year before, right? And so th- there was no limit to his mid to long range. Like people were like, oh, his deep ball was gone. His deep ball was gone. But man, he threw 40 pa- 47 passes of 20 yards or more. Like, like when we were sitting here with Trent Edwards or anyone else, mm. if it was third and 12, third and 15, we were done. We were trying to figure yeah, out how good. do we, you know? And so like, like this is, this is, that is the biggest thing for me is that 
there's no down and distance at which I feel my quarterback can't make the first down. True. And that's especially true with a guy like Stephon Diggs. Uh, so I think we could go on and on and on about this. Um, right now we have the 54th pick, and I, and I want to – I want to kind of put a button on this conversation because there's two other things we need to get to. Um, we'll take a break after this. But the 54th pick, um, we talked about the offensive line still needs some work. I think we all agree that we still need an elite pass rusher. Wide receiver core feels pretty good, and that includes tight ends. We haven't mentioned Docks and Knox, whatever Dawson Knox, whatever he calls himself. Secondary feels pretty good. It would be nice maybe a, a cornerback to work in there. There's not a whole lot of places where this team is is needy. One place that I'm 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 gonna put it out there. Another offensive player we haven't mentioned, Devin Singletary. Love the guy. Love what he brings to this team. I don't think that the 54th pick would be a wasted pick if we went running back with our first pick. Somebody changed my mind. So the only reason I would disagree with you, Lars, is that I don't think that the running back class this year is that elite. I think that they are reasonable as third-round picks, fourth-round picks, maybe even second-day or third-day picks. Um, but from what I've, what, what, you know, uh, what the fuck do I know? I'm not an NFL scout. But that the value <laughs> uh, for a second-round pick as and, and running back is not that not that valuable. So okay, and, but don't don't compare it to the rest of the draft. Compare it to this team. What kind of player at the 54th pick can make an impact right away? So on you, this you know what? Team? You know what? I really want what I really want. I want a fucking angry Richie Incognito. I think I want a star mm. at a guard position that will just yeah. be an angry, destroying person. And then I'm going to move Cody Ford to right guard. I'm going to let Ty Inseki play right tackle and maybe replace him eventually with a free agent right tackle. But we're going to have two guards on either side of Mitch Morse that can literally kill people in front of them. That's what I want. I want the center of our line to be so fucking strong for running the ball, for passing the ball, that no defensive tackle can get through that space. So that's what I would love. I think that people don't think about guards. But if there's a jewel in the, you know, whatever, you know, a jewel guard that's just available – uh, in the second round, no one's going to think twice. But if you can get the best player, uh, that that is the person that I just feel like I feel would really shore up that that position. Because you're right, Cordy Ford could kick out to right tackle if Ty Inseki is hurt or whatever. Um, and you know, Feliciano and Spain, they're 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 solid. But if we had people that could just build and move forward with that line, I, I think that would be just amazing. Mm. I also think okay. Lars. Um, I mean, we. We picked up Singletary in the third round, um, and I, I, I just don't see us going round two uh, with, a, with a running back. I just don't see it. Whether or not it's the right decision or not, I just don't see it. Uh, I'm on board with the offensive lineman. That's just like the only place where my head goes. Um, and, you know, and, and it's, a, it's an offensive lineman who, is, um, who doesn't have to have, like, this tremendous upside. Like, it is a – safe he's going a safe solid pick right like someone who we know is going to be able to come in and contribute um you know may he may end up being a depth a depth player but a solid depth player right like someone who is a not a uh, ryan bates 
or whatever the hell the guy's name is, but someone who is a, who is a step up from that, at least, right. We're talking about like at the, um, uh, at the, at, at their floor, um, and ceiling, maybe being just like a solid starter. Yeah, Bill, that's why I went for guard because I don't I, think you're going to get a tackle at that position, but yeah, uh, guard right. is, is, is like undervalued. And so maybe we can get a blue chip guard. Mm. Yep. Okay. Jeff, what do you got? I'm, I'm I'm with I'm generally speaking I'm sort of with you on this one Lars I think with 54 I I could see us taking a running back I actually think my my money's on either running back or a young defensive end edge player um and and I think that I my money would be on it's the best available between those two positions um I do think though um that the we it's going to the running. I think we'll know about the running back situation depending on what happens in the rest of free agency. But if we go into this, if we go into this draft without a clear um, number two, and I'm, I'm not going to say TJ Yeldon is a clear number two since he was on no. the you know inactive roster for most of the season. If we go He's through free agency w- without, you know, a clear, a very clear number two, I, I don't know. I don't know all the running backs that are left, whether that's Lamar Miller or, you know, one of these guys. Um, I think it becomes increasingly likely that that is the second or third round pick. Um, and, and, and I wouldn't be opposed to it. I mean, again, Lars, you made the point at the beginning of the podcast, 19 points a game. That's the number one problem that this team has to address this offseason. We made the monster move to get digs to do that, um, to help do that. Um, but also the complimentary running back is definitely one where they're going to address, whether it be in free agency in the next month or via the draft, but it's coming. Yeah, and again, I love Devin Singletary's game. I, he's a very, very nice player, but he's not a weapon. We do not have a weapon at wide receiver right now. We do not have a big play guy. We don't have a guy, even like Carlos Williams, that's going to you know plow through and take five guys with him on his way straight up the field. Like we, I, I, I think it's a position of need, and I think Bill, Bill's fans have been been burned for from bad running back picks of the past, but I, I feel like if we can find a guy who can make a day one impact at 54, a guard is nice, but a wide receiver puts points, or excuse me, a running back puts points on the board. Yeah, and remember, I, I, my bo- remember my boy, A.J. Dillon from uh, Boston College. I, I just Noted. think, as, as you look at how they build this team, right, so you have to think about McBean and uh, Whaley and how they built this team. They really like a veteran presence in the backfield, right? They like that option. It pisses the Bills fans off, right? It's notoriously the one thing that always makes Bills fans the most mad. So I don't see them choosing a running back. I think they're going to fill that hole with yet another veteran presence just to have back there. Someone they can rely on, help run the offense if needed, step in, has a voice back there, can be consistent, hang on to the ball in case, you know, Singletary gets to the fumbles again. Um, I, I, I just, I don't see the, the, the pick going, I'm with Bill. I, I think you, you build out the offensive line, um, and try to, try to, try to beef that up. Well, as luck generally has at this time of the year, when we record podcasts, we'll probably wake up tomorrow to a signing, which will completely <laughs> render this portion of the, of the conversation obsolete. But I do agree that I think that a Lamar Miller, a Carlos Hyde, Somebody with a little extra miles on his tires is is definitely due for this roster or somebody who fits that mold that hasn't been talked about yet. Um, but we shall see. 
We shall see. It's going to be fun. There's a lot of a lot of other stuff to cover, and I want to pull way, 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 way back on this next segment because there was another major offseason move. So, Suge, you got your clanking ready? Yeah, I got I got on my clanking. But before you get into that, Lars, is there anything we want to talk about with Mario Edison? I mean, Josh Norman's a huge signing. Like anybody, the new incomers that we want to talk about besides Stefan Diggs, anything that anyone's got to say? Honestly, brief two minute look. Looking at this list, there are there are there are a couple of names not that jump out at me that are just more, more personal to us. Taiwan Jones is back. You know, he had a back-breaking play against us in the Houston game, but he had a great play in 2017 to help save. I think it was the Buccaneers game. So I'm I'm liking that he's back on our roster. I love that Isaiah McKenzie's back. You and know, Ray Ray McLeod. Like, Why can they not and make Ray, Ray, I do, yeah, Ray, Ray, Ray Ray and back. Isaiah? I don't understand. You got to pick yep. one or the other. And I you think Levi have- Wallace and Josh Norman right away. Like, yeah, yeah, and then Robert uh, Foster. Agreed. Like, what? Uh, the- oh no, my, um, but my Levi Wallace and Josh Norman. I think again, we're sort of at, we're yeah, we're we're at that place where it's going to be a lateral move at worst, probably at CB two. We haven't even mentioned Trey White yet, but that's you know again we kind of take him for granted. Um, the, the one interesting signing here as we round this out though, Robert Foster to one year. Um, I think Robert Foster, again, he might be able to do, he should be able to do Isaiah McKenzie's job better than Isaiah McKenzie does, but he's been kind of put on a, you know, use it or lose it deal. And then obviously the, the promotion for Leslie Frazier was nice. Um, well-earned obviously, uh, for his work last year. And, and again, I made the point. I think after the Houston game, I think that this defense is at its floor and I think that its ceiling is not much higher. I think that with these guys in charge, we can always rely on a well-coached, even disciplined, well-executing defense. And again, it's worth saying again, because we said it all last year. We've been saying it for years and years and years in this podcast. This team has to put some fucking points on the board. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. This team gets to 24 points. They can win 12 games this year because I think this defense is always, always, always going to be stout. It's always going to be tough to play against. And the promotion for Leslie Frazier, well-earned. Yeah, Clank is Suge. I think you were asking for us for something, and I think I got it for you right here, baby. There it is. Thank you. Love it. So with everything that's happening in Bill's Nation, it's worth noting that much more has happened in the AFC East. And while the Dolphins are making a push to get much, much, much better, and I actually think they're going to be a more formidable foe than many want to admit, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But ding dong, the witch is dead. He's out of New England, and Tom Brady is a Tampa Bay buccaneer? What the fuck? Regardless, regardless, the Belichick and Brady duo is no more. He's forever a Patriot, although playing for the Buccaneers. Weird way to word that, Tom. Uh, So, people are saying that, you know, for the first time in 20 years, the AFC East is wide open. And the Buffalo Bills 
are the team most poised to step in and fill that gap? One, are we now the presumptive favorites to win the division? Two, what kind of impact is Noodle Arm Brady even going to make in Tampa Bay? And will we forever be arguing, was it Belichick? Was it Brady? Who knows? Let's start with the first question. Bill, you jumped in fast. Yes. Buffalo yeah. Bills, number oh, I one. Love it. Yeah, you look at our team. Yeah, you look at our team. It's called Paging Mr. Momentum. And our team believes, man. Like we we've got the culture established. We're we've built we we've built the foundation established. We've been building on that foundation. We have now added some very, very strong pieces to the team. We've got Josh Allen, uh, who's been building up some confidence. And we've got unfinished business, man. So I think we absolutely are going in as a team, which is most important. They don't like fuck us fans from a certain standpoint. Like our team is going in thinking, you know what? Like this is fucking ours, man. It was ours last year. We believed it was ours last year. And this is ours this year. You know what I want to say? You guys should see the last Star Wars movie. When, when... When that little girl Ray, right, when she finally <laughs> convinced Kylo Loren, the main agent, right, to join us and or to put down to not accept the dark side anymore, suddenly that emperor motherfucker. Hey, with- spoiler alert, bitch. Okay, if y'all haven't seen it by now, there's something fucking wrong with you. Okay, get your shit together. It's fucking. Especially now, it's coronavirus time. If y'all haven't watched a goddamn Star Wars movie by now, something wrong with you. It's not my fault. It's not spoiler alert. It's get your shit together. Never seen it. Never seen it. But the point is that at that point, like that's when we could defeat the Empire, right? Like that's when the Empire could finally be defeated. That's when the dark side could finally be defeated. And I think that Belichick is clearly the evil genius. You know, like he is the brilliant man behind the scenes. He is the Wizard of Oz. But if he doesn't have his agent, it's over, right? And then it just comes down to, hey, what are the Jets doing? What are the, what are the Dolphins doing? And, and I think while both of them have a lot of potential, I think Sam Darnold is a good quarterback. And I think once they build around him the way that we build around Josh Allen, they will be as good, if not better than us, um, but it's just, it's going to be a Jim Kelly, Dan Marino question, right? And the question is, what's Miami going to do? Who knows? But it's going to be a really exciting time to be a fan of a team in the AFC East. I think the AFC East is the future of the NFL. Um, but right now, there's no question. We might not win, you know, the AFC. We might not, we might not even get into the playoffs, but I don't think it's acceptable whoa, for us whoa, to not whoa. win the AFC East. Well, if we win the AFC East, we're in the playoffs. That's an excellent point. <laughs> I forgot about the mechanics of, of the NFL for a brief moment there. That's a good point. So we're going to make the playoffs because of the fact that we're... We well, there's shouldn't. also one additional team this year, right? I, I, I don't think that's final yet, is it? No, it is. It is. It is final. I, I, I didn't think that it went into effect this year. One extra well, game or one extra team? Jeff, as normal, you're wrong. I don't know. I, uh, I, uh, okay, hold on. Anyways, point being, we should win the AFC East, and uh, apparently that's why we should make the playoffs. 
I, and, and I let also, me just go ahead, Cass. I I don't know because I know Lars was like, oh, I'd rather uh, Belichick stays better than Brady. I'm sorry, we don't know how much longer Brady has. Right? He may play for another year or two. Belichick could go on forever. He may be the emperor that Sujit talks about in the Star Wars movies that just lives forever. And he could coach forever. He doesn't have as quite a stopping point as a quarterback does. He needs to be stopped. He needs to be over. He needs to be done. Let me, I need to inject something, two things. Uh, One, I said, I, I would, I would rather that, Belichick keeps winning so long as the Bills win the division because then it's the best of both worlds. But also, too, we keep making this Star Wars reference. Did anybody see, like, this was actually talked about on Twitter today, the Star Wars reference between Belichick and Brady. Suj, were were you meaning to reference that? No, I'm just independently brilliant, Lars. Yeah, well, that we knew. We knew that already. Uh, no, they, the the analogy was, and it's actually at the end of Return of the Jedi, not the horseshit movies that have made since then. Um, Love about those. how, like, for for a brief second, you end up siding with Darth Vader because you realize what an asshole the Emperor is, and even Darth Vader realizes it and becomes, in the end, a sympathetic character. And in this analogy. Belichick is the emperor and Vader is Tom Brady. And again, I think, I think most people, I am rooting against Belichick more than I'm rooting against Brady. I I don't like Tom Brady, but I also don't like what Belichick represents, but if Belichick can like eke out like a nine and seven, 10 and six season, but we're at 11, five, 12 and four and winning the division. Meanwhile, the Buccaneers are like six and 10, five and 11. That is ideal. In my mind, yeah, no, uh, Lars. Needs- I will say that just real quick before you get into it. The first thing I was thinking about was that scene with uh, Darth Vader and the Emperor and Luke Skywalker, but I couldn't remember that shit. And the w- movie that I just saw was the yeah. most recent, and it's amazing because it's the exact same situation at the end of at the end of the Star Wars franchise as it was at the end of the Return of the Jedi. Point being, everybody should fucking die, and the Bills should be great. Yeah. Grab him by the throat and choke him out. I'm sorry. I don't want no 10 and 5, 10 and 6, whatever. I want him to, like, feel like the lowest of the low, be- beyond low. Like I don't know, Cass. There's, there's something to be said about finishing 10 and 6 and missing the playoffs. I mean, as Bills fans, to have the, you know, the football yanked away from us just as we try to kick it every year, that is actually a worse feeling than just being perpetually shitty. I, I, I want the Patriots fans to feel that. I want them to be taken to the brink of success only to have it yanked away at the last minute. Well, to that point, what I, what I, uh, and, and I sort of agree, I want them to have like this mediocre year. And, and one of the reasons why is I, I would hate for them, if they have a bad year, if they go 2-14, and 3-13, and 13, and they get a top three, top four draft pick, everyone is going to turn this narrative into, oh, uh, the genius of Bill Belichick foregoes one season to get a top three draft pick. And it's going to turn into some, it's going to turn into some narrative around how it was just another genius chess play. I want them to go nine and seven, like the bills did for 20 straight years and get the oh my God. pick in the drafts. I mean, that's what I want. That's what I want. Like seven to nine to nine to seven for the next right. 10 years would that's be, that's where we want them stuck. 
and quarterback mediocrity is the only thing that I would settle for also. Yes, like, and, and right, right now their quarterback room is, is lacking, to say the least. Who is this they new quarterback that was their fourth-round Who is this new quarterback that was their fourth round pick uh, last year? A lot of people are talking a little bit of buzz about him. That obviously, I mean, you're comparing comparing it to Brian Hoyer is the only person in the room. But um, there's some fourth round pick that's apparently has promised. Does anyone know anything about this, or just just bullshit? Or or is he getting trumped up as promised because oh well, Tom Belichick turned a sixth rounder to Tom Brady, so he can obviously do it with anybody who's picked anywhere in the draft. I mean, fuck all that shit. Um, And uh, just to be clear, the 2020 season will have 16 games. It's kind of threw me for a curveball here, but I'm looking at an article on NFL.com dated March 15th, and the 17 game season will not go into effect this year. That would have been kind of crazy. But we were talking about the number of playoff teams. Yeah, playoff teams does go into effect. Oh, that's right. Also, by the way, if they were going to make it totally aside, if they were going to make a change to the playoffs, the the change they needed to make was reseeding the playoffs because the idea that division winners automatically the top four is completely ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. You nailed it. Sorry. Praise him. Anyhow, praise him. Hey, Moving course, on. The, guys, guess what? The, the year that we're starting to do well, they add another. <laughs> Thank you. Like, it's all it's all part of the Bills experience, Cassie. Yeah, it's all part yeah. of the experience. Well, you know what? Uh, you know, this podcast is called Bills and Beers, and, you know, we talk about the Bills, but we do so drinking beer. So oh. I want to take a moment to move things on and say, hey, Bill. Up there in Brew City, Milwaukee. What you drinking? Uh, the current beer is um, a Red Chair Northwest uh, Pale Ale from Deschutes. It's been sitting in the fridge for quite some time. But it's delicious. Enjoy. If you had, if you dropped me out of a helicopter and put a gun to my head and said, "What kind of beer is Bill presently drinking?" Uh, it, without a doubt, I would say pale ale. And then if the if the person holding the gun said, "Please be more specific," I would always say Deschutes, because that's what Bill is always drinking. I will say Deschutes is fucking amazing. Like, I mean, they have they have some really good, 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 good beers. That's oh, the one oh, from. Believe Oregon, me, right? whatever, whatever Bill's drinking, I'm all in for because Bill Bill always brings the heat. Wow. Lars, that's the second nicest thing you've said to me. In What's World number FM. one? What's no, number not one? the second nicest. Excuse me. Let me let me revise the statement. There's that's like the second nice thing that you said to me in the past year. I forget what else you said, but something about music. You were like, "Oh, Bill knows how to put together a playlist." Yes, I really you do. Appreciate it. I really yeah, appreciate that. Bill, Bill really knows how to DJ a party. Bro, if you give well, me one compliment a year, man, that will really fulfill me. Thank you. Hey, man. Keep, keep probably not going to happen. That's the name of the game. It's probably That's not going to happen. Now. <laughs> Why do I think that Bill has, like, oh, a I'm diary so needy. writes on me? Like, you're keeping the track of a list there. Because really it's a short list, Cassie. It's easy to keep track of. <laughs> Cassie, what yeah. are you drinking, baby girl? <laughs> uh, so it was, it was beautiful today. Um, I do live kitty corner to a park here in Chicago. Um, and with the coronavirus, which we will talk about, 
but the police did come by and kick everybody out of the park. Good. Um, so that was really fun to watch. But we were sitting outside, and I was drinking um, a cold snap from Sam Adams. It's a white ale with spices, and it is really, really good. And I think I've talked about it on the yeah, podcast you have. before. And I know somebody tweeted in their agreement with me, but it is a super delicious beer, Sam Adams Cold Snap. It's a limited release, so get it while you can. Suge, do us the honors. Yeah, I will. Um, I've come downstairs because I over-prepared and I brought like seven beers downstairs with me. Um, during this coronavirus virus environment, I, I don't do well with social isolation. And I've had hosted parties in my drive where we are all at least 10 to 15 feet apart from each other. And couples sit at various parts of the driveway. Um, and we just hang out and, and, and drink beer. And that's the only time. I get that once a week. Everyone else is scared. But the point is, I started drinking a little while ago. I want to take you through my list of beers. The first one is Mars Brewery, which is a, a great Chicagoland brewery um, that is way overpriced but also very good. I had their Juice Wizards Hazy Double IPA. Then I would just want to take a moment to give a shout-out to Chicago and Milwaukee about two of the beers um, that won the gold and silver at the Great American Beer Festival. The first one is near and dear to our heart. It's right down the street, Old Irving Brewery on uh, Irving Park Road. Um, they won the gold medal with the OIB Beezer, uh, which is a double dry hopped IPA. And then uh, to, to, to Bill's country, City Lights Brewing, uh, their hazy IPA won the silver medal. Um, and uh, yeah. Both so those sound terrible. They're both great beers. Um, I want to just take one moment to talk a little bit about a beer from Hot Butcher. Um, Hot Butcher is uh, a local beer that, is a very, very, very good beer. And, they, and it's a limited release, all those things. There's, Lars, this is one's mostly for you. If you're mm. able to get a hang, hand of Neon Green Relish, um, I'll, once we finish all this, I'll show you the picture of the can. It's honestly one of the most amazing new beers I've had in a while. Like a, along the lines of uh, Fire Skulls and Money from Toppling Goliath. And it's just, it's great. It's absolutely great. So, Hot Butcher Neon Green Relish. If you can get your hands on it, uh, make it happen. That's a reference to the Chicago hot dog. Of course. Of course. Uh, Jeff, Jeff, you've been requested to talk to rescue <laughs> us from the horrible things that we're talking about with IPAs. I mean, I was about to go walk, you know, go take a walk around the block while you guys were uh, going through the beer by beer over there. Uh, IPA City, uh, Cass and I over here on the pills and liquor train. I know it's called Bills and Beers, but uh, tonight was a tequila night in the day household. Um, and I was drinking one of my favorite uh, sipping tequilas, drinking tequilas, which is Fortaleza. Um, that's my go-to tequila for uh, just drinking tequila on ice, which is what I've been doing tonight. Keeping it clean, plant-based. No carbonation, which is good for my uh, GI stomach issues uh, that Sujit knows a thing or two about. Um, and, uh, I'm so with you, baby. Are they doing. contagious? Are they contagious on this podcast? No, although 20 to 30% of coronavirus symptoms can present with GI symptoms. I'm just saying. And just to be clear, I don't have GI symptoms, if that's what you're referencing. 
I was trying to explain the fact that I've been farting the entire podcast. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah. I thought Cassie was giving me grief about my esophagus. Uh, well, speaking of which, uh, I, I threw caution to the wind and went all gluten all the time tonight, even though I'm allergic as hell to it. Uh, and went with the uh, Voodoo Ranger Imperial IPA, which I think we've talked about on the podcast before. So it's pretty common, especially in the Midwest. Um, but I got it because my buddy texted me here in Philly. Um, by the way, uh, I'm in the goddamn Commonwealth of Pennsylvania now, and it is just not that easy to get booze here. And it's like, you know, in Chicago, I would have to go 20 feet in any direction. I could get just any assortment of beer, even if I went to the 7-Eleven. Here, not so much. So I had to kind of go out of my way today on a little walk with uh, with the baby and with, 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 with uh, Betty, who's laying here next to me, which is quite nice. Um, because uh, two New Belgian Voodoo Ranger IPAs uh, the, of the 19.1% or excuse me, 19.2 fluid ounce varieties, two for $5. So I couldn't pass up on that um, while I'm here in the Commonwealth of uh, and, and, and while, while I have the microphone in my hand, if I, if I may, um, you know, Suge listening to you and Cassie talk about the, the great city of Chicago and, and we had an opportunity to kind of relish in my departure after the Houston loss, um, it happened very fast. Uh, it was a, it was a, um, it was a departure from the city that happened very, very fast for a number of reasons. And Henrik, our older son, uh, is, and Bill and I have two sons who are almost exactly the same age, but um, same age as his older son. Uh, he has a book. C is for Chicago. Great book. Um, a is for the Art Institute. B is for the Blues. C is for Chicago. D is for Deep Dish Pizza. E is for the L. Uh, we could go right on through. And I picked it up uh, about a month or so ago as we were here in Philly. I was reading it to him, and I full-on started to cry. I think well, that my my departure from Chicago was something that was a bit traumatic and something that I didn't quite deal with because of all the other things that were going on. But I love that goddamn city, and I miss it so fucking much. I like Philly a lot. Um, but as you guys are talking about it, it makes me remember just how much I miss Chicago and, of course, missing being with friends like you. So uh, and you wouldn't know be that, a podcast if we didn't go there. And you know that Chicago misses you. I mean, I literally, when you were talking to me about the Voodoo Rangers and things like that, I was literally imagining you going to your fridge in Chicago and getting those beers. Like, I, 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 I didn't, I didn't, it didn't sink into me that you're not in your same apartment in Chicago that you've always been, that we've recorded podcasts in, that I've played with Betty in, that I've hung out with Hank. Like, like it's just, it's, it's weird and it's, it's upsetting and it's, it sucks that like when I when I drive past your neighborhood, I still think that oh yeah, Lars Lars lives a little bit to the right here, you know. No, and so, no, I, mean, I don't. It's, it's a weird thing, right? And like, it's and it, it there's something comforting about doing the podcast in this way where I don't have to see you in Philly, <laughs> where because <laughs> I just, work in person like in my in my world you're still right down the street, you know, uh, you know, up on up up in Lakeview or whatever. So anyways, but the point is, is that here we are, right? Here we are. We're all not just in our homes, but we are in our homes, like, from a forced standpoint. We are forced to be in our homes, uh, not because we shouldn't be, but because we should be. Um, and so 
here we are with the coronavirus, right? So here we are. Um, I just got finished working in the hospital for a week. And uh, I will say the first thing that I will say about anything that I say is that I am not an infectious disease expert. Um, I know more about coronavirus than 99% of the people that are listening to this podcast. Uh, but my advice is not what you should take as gold. Listen to Anthony Fauci. Do not fucking listen to the president. Um, and, uh, just like, let's just fucking talk about how's this affecting everyone's life. You know, like, I mean, just forget the bills, forget all that, but I do have a wild card coming up. Uh, so I just want to take a moment to talk about how everyone's doing. And then I, I do have a wild card for that's apropos for the, for, uh, for coronavirus. Well, let's Wait, start with okay. Jeff. Uh, down, down there in Texas, uh, which is uh, famously one of the states that's not taking this very, very seriously. And Jeff doesn't have kids, um, which is not a slight, but it is it is a major wild card of having <laughs> to be locked inside without working. Um, Jeff has been pushing Tiger King on a bunch of us, so I'm sure that's top of mind for him. But, uh, you know, you're with your beautiful bride, Teresa, there, cooped up. What's life like for you, my man? I mean, normally my segment is hot takes, and if I if I can only provide one to the listening audience, it is two words: Tiger King. You are looking for a show. I know. If you are looking for a show to blow your mind, I haven't seen a show like this in a long time. Documentary on Netflix. Bill, I know, just got started with it last night. Yeah. Texted me about it. I don't know, uh, Cassie, if you're on the train yet. It is a must-watch show of the year. It is what everyone post-COVID will be talking about and remembering from this quarantine period. And that is what my Saturday consisted of. Yeah, J Jeff, I've heard from independent people, people talking about Tiger King. That and, like, don't fuck with the cats. I don't know. Like, that's, <laughs> that was on WGR at some point. I've seen both. But I heard that uh, Tiger, Tiger Cats is just fucking killer. Tiger King puts fuck, don't fuck with cats to shame. Uh, not even in the same conversation. Um, and uh, again, if I could recommend one show for your quarantine viewing, it would be that none other than Tiger King. So life is okay down here. You know, like everyone, we're just dealing with the situation at hand, trying to make the best of it through things like this pod, creating content, watching content. Um, and hopefully we get out of this mess as soon as possible. We can carry on. Um, but go check out Tiger King for any of those of you who are listening. Cass, coming to you now, I know you said you've been working day and night. Uh, McDonald's forges on, it seems, uh, it, it, in these darkest of times. So how, how are you and Jay managing? How is your family doing? I'm worried because as soon as you said Cassie's name, she muted herself. Yes, yeah, she did. She, well, she, <laughs> per earlier, she, I don't think she's, there, there she, she is. is. Yeah, I don't think she's got the hang up. Now, okay, here we go. <laughs> no doing great uh, keeping the arches shining on you know in these trying times when you need a comforting meal you need something um that you can rely upon you can rely upon those golden arches from mcdonald's um we're gonna keep serving the wow. classic foods that you guys that, that that our consumers love but we are rolling out a limited menu um which has kept me busy <laughs> uh the, all the nuances all the discussion points every single piece uh I've, I've gotten kind of exposure to um so it's been an interesting project to work on but uh jay and i are doing great and, and um lars i don't know how betty's handling it but 
The one interesting thing has been our dog and us being home. Um, so she definitely gets more treats during the day. So her uh, bathroom movements um, have been kind of screwed up, but we actually try to leave the house without her sometimes so that we can come home and she can be surprised to see us. Oh, um, that's so nice. I, yeah, I think she's getting a little sick of us just being here <laughs> consistently. So Cass, <laughs> uh, you know, Jeff obviously has, a, has an affinity for Tiger King. He conveniently left out the uh, short-term affinity he had for McMillions on HBO. Um which him and I shared for the first couple episodes, and then just our, both of us, both both of us, excuse me, I think lost our enthusiasm for somewhere around episode four. It just it just completely lost all all momentum. Uh, but did that create any kind of like internal hubbaloo? Did were you guys getting like internal memos about like you may have seen on the HBO documentary McMillions, or how, how did that go over with somebody on the inside? No, no, there was not a lot of discussion points. Um, I know there's some people that I know that that they went to a screening for it. I think that we are part of or that we supported or that we knew about, but um, didn't know about that. I, I will say my one uh, claim to fame so far was the first coronavirus that was at McDonald's headquarters happened because of a vendor was in a meeting with about 12 to 14 employees. Um, and that was our first case that had been at MHQ. And I was privileged to say I was in that meeting wow. with that vendor. With that vendor. Uh, but none, no one else in that meeting ended up coming down with symptoms. So we think they actually got that the coronavirus after uh, the meeting because nobody, nobody also in that meeting got uh, symptoms or, or came down with it. So Were, were you but tested? I was not tested. I haven't had any symptoms. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you don't need to have symptoms, apparently, especially if you're young. But as soon as you know better. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. I, I, yeah, actually, yeah, no, please. Now, now would let's be a great time to talk about I'm wildly curious. Then move on to something a little bit more fun. Um, <clears throat> so the, the overall picture, right, guys, is that, yes, you absolutely can carry this virus without... What is happening? Okay, you can absolutely carry this virus without having any symptoms. But your maximum infectivity is when you're shedding the most virus is when you are symptomatic. So if you're a carrying mm -hmm. asymptomatic carrier, don't get me wrong. If you go visit with your 60, 65-year-old, 80-year-old grandparents, you absolutely can transmit that virus because they don't need a large volume of virus to be infected because they're sensitive to it. But the... but your big fear, your big risk is when you do have a fever, cough, or shortness of breath, because that's when you are definitely far more viremic, meaning you have a high level of virus in your body. So that's the whole idea behind this, you know, social isolation is that it's not about one of us getting the virus, right? You know, there's some estimates that 60% of the the population will get this virus. We're going to get this virus and you're going to be fine. And that's the thing that bothers me. There needs to be more stories out there about people getting this virus, getting sick with it, and then being okay, not dying. Like the sensationalized stuff that's in the IC that, that, that nurses and doctors even are posting about this horrible virus that we walk into the ER and they're dying of shortness of breath and every body part is swollen and, you know what? That happens with the flu, too. Every single year. I see it every single year. 
with the flu. So don't act like this is something new that's never been seen, right? I see that with RSV. I see that with anything. And so this virus is very different from the flu. Its infectivity model is totally different, obviously. Not this many people get the flu in this short a period of time, right? But the point is, is that precaution, precaution will help all of us. Fear will help none of us. Right. And, and, and there's there's a level to which I mean, I think we talked about this with the bills, like when we were talking like a few minutes late uh, before where, you know, it's all about let's take the precaution that it takes to make sure that we flatten the curve, that we that we keep each other safe. And more importantly, that the 60 percent of the population that gets infected is not our 60, you know, into 80 year old grandparents. It's not our immunocompromised people. Um, let's make sure that the people that get infected are you and I, and that we're fine, and that we socially isolate, and we don't spread this to the gen- to the rest of the population that is truly at risk. Um, <clears throat> but I think that people need to remember that, look, precaution is important. Fear is not, right? Fear is nothing going to, going to do nothing but hurt us. Um, so let's just, let's take the precautions we need to. And you know what? I mean, you know how many fun things I've done with my fucking family that we yeah. haven't done in in so many years, we were playing karaoke in the basement. We were, you know, listening to YouTube videos. We listened to the Vivo Top videos. Lucy has never seen a music video in her life. And she was, like, so excited about that. And, like, we yeah. all grew up as an MTV generation. And, like, how cool is that? Like, And even though I couldn't see my neighbors, like, far away, we set up on the driveway 20 feet from each other. And we all started shouting at each other, drinking beers, hanging out together. Like, there's so many great things that we can make of this. And more importantly... You know, there's a lot of people in this country that can't enjoy having a full fridge and a warm house and, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a place to be safely. And a lot of us can be. And a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast, because you have Internet access, you're in a house that probably can afford that. So let's just all be thankful for what we got. Um, wow. That's, that's wow. Where I'm at. No, that's that's Dude. awesome. Jesus. That's so good. Yo, that's, can you that's... send me the recording of this? Oh, wait, no, we're being recorded. I'm going to yeah, listen to no, that. And, you know, it's, it's so funny you mention that because, you know, we've got two kids in the house here. We've got a toddler and we've got a little one. Um, and it's hard. Like, it's a lot of work. But, like, earlier today, I couldn't help but notice, like, how much laughter there is in our house right now. Like, yeah. the, the two boys are just, like, having the time of their lives. They don't know what the fuck is going on. They Like, Henrik wakes up every day and says, like, what are we doing today? Are we going to the museum? Are we going to school? Are we going to the playground? And, like, and we have to tell him, like, hey, but no, we can't do that stuff. I mean, he doesn't get it, you know. But, but like, he, he's he's jacked up every day, and he's swinging from the goddamn ceilings. And sometimes it's really, really hard to keep him in line because, you know, he's a two-year-old boy and just wants to go out and do his thing. But... He is having the time of his life. He loves having the family here. He loves being with us. He loves being around his baby brother. And like today for the first time, like I just kind of paused and noted like there's been like so much laughter in this house over the past week and how wonderful it's been. On a side note, the the other half of my coronavirus story. Um, so I've been I've been dealing with this since like my second week of work at this new job because we have so much of our operations in China. So I've been kind of like knee deep in coronavirus for as long, for as long as I, I care to be. And everybody jokes like, Oh, you joined this company and everything's going crazy. And it's, it's like, yeah, it would be awesome if it hadn't. 
but um, you know, <laughs> getting a baby brother, moving, doing all this stuff, like it was really hard on Henrik. And I had Monday through Sunday, seven days a week, calls every night from 8 p.m. till 9 p.m. on China time when this thing was blowing up all through the month of February and in the latter part of January in China. And Henrik being, you know, just completely disoriented with everything that had been going on. He was away from me for two weeks in my mom's place and didn't know what was going on. And all of this is after a transition of getting a new sibling. I mean, the, the kid, kid went to school and came back and everything was in boxes and we were ready to go. I mean, he was just so out of sorts. And the first thing that a toddler does, they'll start protesting sleep. So the hour from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. is precious. And I was on calls this entire time. And my poor wife is up to her elbows and kids screaming and crying and, and nobody knows what's going on. And when a toddler protests sleep, believe me when I tell you, it has cascading effects to their general demeanor for the entirety of their existence. So that yes. part of COVID-19 was not fucking awesome in this house. In the last couple of weeks, he has definitely come back online. We've got him back on a regular sleep schedule. He, he gets it. He's, 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 he's cool with his new school, et cetera, which is now closed, obviously. And now he's having the time of his life. And Suj, I'm, I'm with you every day. This family, this household, we count our blessings. We're not financially compromised by this right now because my job is actually considered a sustainable business in Pennsylvania. So we are we're operating uninterrupted. I just have to work from home. And Jack has been a champ with the kids doing stuff every day. But – um, we, we, we definitely don't take that for granted. It is, it is a blessing and we are, we are very privileged in that regard. And I say that with a capital P with all the connotation that that word has these days, we are very, very privileged right now. And it's the most important to take away from that what we can on a positive side, which again, time with family, laughter, kids having the time of their life really honestly wouldn't trade it for anything else right now. Bill, yeah, and how's your going? I just, I just want to say that, you know, hey, we're sitting here recording a fucking podcast, right? Like, yeah. that's pretty fucking great, right? So Privileged. Still. We're all privileged. Nobody, nobody on this recording should really take for granted our privilege. And I know that's a very controversial term this day and age, but it's something we should all kind of come to grips with. All right. So, Serge, let me run, let me run a scenario by you here. I get Amazon um, delivery. No, Amazon uh, pickup, right? Where they just like plop the bags in the back of your car, right? Um, not Amazon, excuse me. Uh, Whole Foods, okay? And uh, so it comes in the brown paper bags and everything. And um, I start to bring out the bag. I put the blue, blue gloves on, right? Sterile gloves, because that was like the directive from my wife. And I pull them, pull the bags out and I start to bring them into the house. And like Liam, like Liam loves to help with everything. Right. Like he's just like, dad, can I help with this? Can I, can I help with this? And he's just like, that's the thing. I'm like, yeah, sure. And like, so I like hand him a bag. It's not really thinking about it. Right. And then like Carrie like flips out at me. She's like, oh, you're going to spread coronavirus. Like why are you even bringing the bags inside? You're supposed to sanitize them outside and then take out everything out. And then, spray it down everything on the inside like should i be doing that shit like i'm supposed to go to target tomorrow morning and she said okay bring four you know different blue gloves when you press the you know cash register when you put your credit card in 
switch your glove to the other glove. And I'm just like, man, I get it. And I'm going to be careful. I'm going to hand sanitize. I'll wipe down the stuff. But, like, I don't know. Should I be freaking so, out? So, Bill, here's here's the way that I view this, right? If you are sitting on the beach and there's a tidal wave coming for you, would you rather have a bucket or scuba gear? Mm. Because I think that that's the idea is that, you know what, like, that's the point. You can never, your mail gets delivered every day. Are you going to sanitize your mail for 48 hours and then bring it in into your house? Right. Um, you know, like, you will open the door. People will, there will be air. You, if you, and if you don't open your door, then you are maintaining whatever breathing and respiratory viruses exist in your house and you're not aerating it out. So it's like, if there's there's no you have to be reasonable the whole point of the social isolation is not for you to not get infected the point is that if you get infected you don't just widely spread it to other people the point is not to reduce the number of infections the point is that so when i'm working in the hospital next week we're not so over, overrun with COVID-19 infections that I can't take care of a person in liver failure, right? That that person just has to die, right? And so, like, that's yeah. the point is that, like, we are trying to make this so that it's – if you get infected, if Carrie gets infected, even if your kids get infected, like, it's going to be okay, right? M- the majority of the time, it's going to be okay, Yes, of is course. Is it okay are... for a baby? What about babies? Like under So again, six that's that's that is the level at which I will not make a comment because I don't know data well enough. Um, yeah. but I know well, that there they... is there in the... I don't know if there is the data, right? I mean, it's like No, of course there isn't. So... Of course there isn't. But like that is not the that is not the big that is not the big population that is a vulnerable population. Pregnant patients, right. older patients, immunocompromised patients, you know, like those are the people that have been known and, and people with chronic, chronic diseases. Uh, those are the people that have been known to be dangerous. But the point is, is that, you know, prevention helps everyone. Fear helps nobody. So right. How- and so if you were, if you're sitting there disinfecting everything that you get from target, like how effective is that? How many seconds did you leave the disinfectant on your thing? Was it saturated for 17 seconds? Because otherwise, what you did was ineffective, right? So at some point, you have to take a little bit of faith in whatever being exists in the world. If you disinfected your Target bag and you were careful and you didn't go into Target, you didn't do all of those things, like, if you get coronavirus, then you're just meant to get coronavirus because 60% of the population is going to get coronavirus. But there's no point to be afraid, right? Do your due diligence. Try and make sure that your 60s or 70-year-old grandparents don't get it. And, of course, try and avoid you getting it, right? But more, more than just you not getting it, try and make sure that if you get it or if you have a risk for getting it, you don't spread it to someone that could die from it. Right. I think that's the focus. Like we have to stop being afraid of getting coronavirus. That is what all I see is that people are horribly afraid of ever getting coronavirus and it's destroying like your ability to function. And that's what's making people so stressed. 
if you get coronavirus, you get coronavirus. And if you're not an un, if you're not, you know, an at risk person, then you're probably going to do just fine. I have people that were dying of liver failure, right? That were, have advanced, advanced liver disease that got coronavirus and they were in the hospital, not because of their coronavirus, by the way. They were in there because of their liver disease. And the coronavirus was the last thing that they had to worry about. I had one person that was in for very liver-related issues. And by the way, he had coronavirus. Everything that kept him in that hospital was his liver disease. He barely had symptoms of his coronavirus. You know, maybe a little bit of fever, maybe a little bit of cough, but nothing so severe. Right. And so I think it's important to remember that, like, yeah, this is a bad virus. And for some people, it's deadly. Right. But the fear is not in just the contraction of coronavirus. It's the way that coronavirus can spread across our population. So our goal should be to, to focus on reducing the spread, reducing the exposure to the at risk population. And so, I mean, that's my that's my soapbox, like, you know, as a non infectious disease expert, but from everything I know, taking care of patients with coronavirus and in, in a mass, you know, isolation unit, big, 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 big uh, pandemic hospital. But like, I just think that like, we have to, we have to refocus our, our, our efforts on the goal of reducing the spread, not just being horribly afraid of ever, ever getting this virus. Well, you, you say that you're not an expert on this, but you're more so an expert than everybody else on this podcast and most people listening. So uh, if anybody's made it this far into the podcast, uh, hopefully they take some comfort uh, from the things you had to say. Um, one final thing before we before we wrap it here, I, I do want to give a little bit of props to our, our boys over at uh, B-Bills maybe next year. Um, uh, I, I always enjoy their show. We talk them up. We're going to have them on again. I would love to do a little a, a co-podcast here with them, depending on how long this lockdown thing goes. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, but I invited them to weigh in, in on uh, the article about the Bagula family um, firing some of their uh, restaurant workers during this time. And uh, their response on their podcast was very thoughtful, very smart, as always. So I encourage our listeners to check that out. I wish we could have given them a plug earlier in this episode because, again, I think that they do really good work and, and, and they're always very interesting to listen to. Um, but I don't think at this point we have really time to get into it, but I did want to s- squeeze that in. Um, but we have the draft coming up now in about a month. I don't know if it's going to happen live or it's going to happen at all. It's kind of crazy right now with cor- coronavirus and nobody can really plan past tomorrow so it's a it's a good opportunity for all of us to take it one day at a time to appreciate the ones we have around us and it maybe burn through a netflix series or two that we didn't otherwise have time for um on that note does anybody else have anything to weigh in before we before we wrap it and before suge clanks us out of here no it's good chatting with you guys all right hey all you fuckers better still be on the video chat after this thing is done because I can't end on like nasty negative coronavirus bullshit. Okay. All right. But Hey, to the Bills Nation, stay strong. Fuck you.
Tom Brady is out of our goddamn division, okay? And Peace. fuck you, Bill Belichick. You can't do a goddamn thing against us. We got Josh Allen. We got fucking Devin Singletary. We got Stefan Diggs. We got John Brown. We got Cody Ford, who's going to change the fucking world at right tackle. Y'all got nothing on us. This is the next level. We are ready for some fucking Buffalo Bills football in 2020. Fuck you, coronavirus. Let's go, Bills. (laughs) On that note, yeah, go, Bills. Yeah, go, Bills. We'll be back sometime, probably day two or three of the draft. Until then, go, Bills. Love it. Thanks, guys. Make me wanna. We're doing massive WebExes at Rush, right? We're like, there's 100, 200 people on the call. And um, at some point, they by mistake unmuted everybody on the call. (laughs) There's all kinds of noise. But the most important thing was someone was like, yeah, get out of here, you fucker. I so I was like, um, we should definitely remute everybody. <laughs> I sent a text to my, my my coworker. I was like, who said fucker? <laughs> Is someone scraping uh, ice? Uh, yeah, yeah that was me. Sorry. Whoever's Sorry. shaking a martini right now, if you could knock him the fuck off. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>